Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 134. Uh, this is RJ, and um, I am here with, with many people. We have a full house. We have Brad. Hi, Brad. Hey. Um, full on jo- round table. <laughs> Jonathan. Hey there. Matt. Hey guys. And we have a guest, Jeff Goldberg. Hey, Jeff. Salutations. <laughs> we um we have Jeff here because um he well actually we started talking to Jeff what last summer about doing an episode and then Jeff promptly disappeared when he had a child up here in his family and so now here we are what nine months later Jeff and we're uh, finally recording. That's right. So glad congratulations. To, glad to be here. Thank you. I'm sure you've been doing a lot of sleeping and relaxing and other things that people do with new children. 
Yeah, just kicking back, relaxing, and doing nothing. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe occasional world traveling and stuff. <laughs> Spending a lot of time doing whatever you want. Somehow finding the time to restore 25-year-old fish tapes. Yeah, exactly. So thanks, Matt, for mentioning that. So that's why Jeff's here. If people haven't seen, um, there was a piece on fish.net, which we'll get into in a little more detail. Jeff um, remastered two shows, um, both April 8 shows, from one from 90 and one from 92. So we're going to dive into the discussion of that and, and talk a little bit more about Jeff's work. And then we're going to play some fish, which is always fun. Um, first, just want to say that, um, you know, thank everyone for listening. Um, if you haven't yet, go to iTunes and give us a review. Just just do five stars, because if you're listening, then that's that's like probably what you think. Um also, Brad's here, so we deserve we deserve five stars today. Because Brad's a five star kind of guy, um, and um, you guys have heard this before, but uh, we're part of the Osiris Podcast Network. We have about twenty four music and culture podcasts at this point, and um, really fun stuff going on. And uh, we've been sending updates through Relics and through our Twitter account and and Facebook and all kinds of things. Um, if you or want his YouTube channel, my, yeah, YouTube. Yeah. Um, I love those videos of you. I watch them. Thanks, Brad. That's that's <laughs> that's that makes me feel good. Um, if you guys want to follow what's going on with Osiris, um, go to osirispod.com. Um, there's a newsletter we'll start putting out. I think next week. But one cool thing coming up next weekend is um, the Sweetwater 420 Fest in Atlanta, and we're gonna have a contest um, for some concert tickets and another really cool thing that involves fish uh, memorabilia that's going to launch on monday so people should look out for that um you'll see that on social media and and other stuff but um sweetwater 420 fest we're going to have we're going to be there with um with relics magazine and inside out with turner and seth and um it's going to be it's going to be really fun we're doing interviews with the string dusters and spafford soja and i think some other some other acts there's going to be a charity auction and we have this cool contest. So if you're not going to Sweetwater 420 Fest, make sure you follow Osiris for updates um, throughout the weekend. So, What's the date of the Sweetwater 420 Fest? Um, well, it's 420, April 20th. That's pretty easy to remember. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> it's the whole weekend. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so 20th through the 22nd. Um, yeah, so really exciting. This is our first kind of Osiris event um, that we'll be doing. So pretty excited about it. And... Like I said, there'll be a contest to win some summer festival concert tickets. So pretty cool. Um, guys, so there was some fish news today. Two two pieces of fish news like from fish, which rarely happens because they're like they really stay under the radar. But they released a, a 826.93 um, via on the live fish app and then also made an announcement that there are now videos that are going to be available through the live fish app, which is pretty cool both those things are pretty cool um jeff are you familiar with that 93 show no not offhand yeah it's it's that that month is pretty pretty sweet but not one of the pretty great split open and melt on that thing it's pretty exciting um and the the live fish video stuff is is really cool i think um you know if you're not already like subscribing to listen to stuff i mean i don't know were you guys as excited about the video thing as i was or is it just me yeah, no, I, I've always been scouring like Vimeo and those different places where you'd find them. Um, so it's cool that they're going to have them centralized finally. This um, is the, this is the first I'm hearing about it. So I'm cool. just, just announced today. I'm yes. still mar- still marinating on it right now. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I hope that yeah. they don't um, stop pushing stuff to the the YouTube channel uh, that they mm-hmm. keep because they you know they've been pretty good about putting like one video per show up for a while. Um, but to, I've been long saying that, you know, we need more video and we need complete shows and they need to stop letting physical media be a hang up and just release digital, you know, full, uh, full videos of shows. So this is definitely a move in the right direction. As far as I'm concerned, I do wish that they would sell the videos individually, um, to, so that you didn't necessarily have to subscribe, but, uh, I'll take, uh, what they're willing to do for now. You'd subscribe if they put the great wine out, wouldn't you? Uh, yes, they would already have my money. Or lemon wheel. <laughs> These are mostly just ideas for fish. I, I, but generally, I, I, I think they've always been on the cusp of, like, being kind of like my dad's generation, where, you know, like a flip phone, and also like us with, like, you know what I mean, with uh, up-to-date whatever. Um, so... Uh, they're they're trending. They're trending in the right direction. What's the venue of the eight twenty four uh, show that they just released? Was that um, it's a it was Portland show? Isn't Portland, it? yeah. Um, okay, yeah, eight twenty six. Oh, eight twenty six. Yeah, sorry. That's yeah. Okay. We're all we're all learning about it again. Um, what was it? Is it the? It's like the Eleanor or something theater. There, there's no way to. There's no way to find out. Unfortunately, um, it's the Arlene <laughs> Schnitzer Concert Hall in Portland, Oregon. No Arlene. way. Yep. Yeah, Arlene Schnitzer. <laughs> it's cool. So, sounds made up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, that August '93, the, the whole month is is incredible. But that's a that's a good. Uh, that's sort of an under the radar. I think we talked about that month uh, maybe last year because I remember. We ended up at the that that's the tour that closes with the Greek show, right? The twenty eighth, um, the gate twenty eight ninety three is the Greek just down the road. Sounds right with JJ Hale. Uh, maybe yeah. Yeah. I know it has an awesome. You enjoy myself, but anyway, everyone should check that out because impossible fish is cool. Um, so, Jeff, the reason you're here is well, partially because you like fish, and so do we. So thank you for joining us to talk about fish. But um, you're 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 an audio specialist. In fact, that is the web address where you reside, audiospecialist.net, and you do this work as a for as a profession, right? I do. Yeah. And it's- so so tell us a little bit before we get into the the profession piece. Tell us about your fish background. How'd you get into the band and how'd you start start becoming a fan? I uh, my older brother Mark was uh, when he went away to college, got involved with the fish mailing list. The I mean, this is, you know, early, early 90s, 91 or so. And so he got into the band and then he got me into the band. He was kind of involved with um, before Fishnet. It was just it was the Usenet news group, Rec Music Fish. And oh, yeah. he got uh, kind of involved in the administration of of running that and um then after that, he started going to shows. He ended up, I think his first show was the 72592 show that where they opened for Santana at uh, in Stowe, Vermont. And it's mm. still to this day, like one of my favorite things to listen to. Um, as a going away, I, in the fall of 92, I, I, it was my freshman year of high school. And I went away to school and my brother gave me Junta as a gift. And that sort of was the start of it for me. And um, I remember he he got me my first tape was Arrowhead Ranch, the 72191 show at the Horns. And 
Uh, my first show that I went to was uh, University of Hartford, April 30th, 93. So it, that's sort of my the beginnings of how I got into the band. I was I was um, immediately hooked, so to speak. I'm, I mean, I'm kind of a music geek, and so I was I was really into it right from the start. It's so awesome that you got to see shows that early on. So you were you were seeing shows in spring of 93 and and onward. That was the spring of 93 was an awesome, awesome time too. a really, really good, good time for the band. It was. It was were, uh, Paige had just gotten his piano a few months before that. And, um, you know, I, I had been listening to shows, obviously, before that. And one of my biggest complaints is kind of a persnickety sound guy was always the sound of Paige's keyboard. And so when mm-hmm. he upgraded to the baby grand, that was a huge deal mm-hmm. for me. And um, I've been playing I'm a guitarist, but I've been playing piano since I was five or so. So I've always had a, a big appreciation for piano itself. Nice. And then did you did you continue on to see shows like through the through the 90s and 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 beyond or did you take any breaks or? No, I, I did. I, I went and I saw them a lot. Um, I'd say, I mean, all through high school, I saw many, many shows on pretty much all the tours all through college. Um, I think I probably started to taper off during the 2.0 era, um, for various reasons, but, and I've been to a whole handful for the 3.0 era, but nothing kind of compares for me as the early, mid, late nineties, fish that i i mean i saw the bulk of my shows then nice that's awesome that's really cool and what what was your first like your first experience at a show where you really like felt like you got it i'd say probably new year's 93 which was um worcester centrum and they had that i would think that would be a good place and time to get it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I, I had been listening. I mean, I, I I really enjoyed it up until that point. But that was the f- I remember that being the first show where I knew all the songs and I knew kind of what was going on. Um, I knew enough about it to the point. I was also at the Game Hen show at Great Woods in 94. And I Jesus definitely was, wow. I was super into it by then. And I knew exactly from the first there's a there's a man sitting in a dentist chair, like from the first line of it, I knew exactly what was going on. And my friends and I really flipped out. Right. That's cool, man. You already have way more fish cred than any of us. So this is, this is cool. <laughs> tell us, you should, you should tell take over the podcast. Yeah. 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 Goldberg podcast. Can you tell us about every other momentous fish show that you were at? <laughs> Far too many. I mean, I, 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 some of the ones that stand out are, are, um, Hampton 97, I loved that. Uh, right I was on. at Hampton 98 as well. Um, I pretty much went to every New Year's show up until, you know, I'd say after the first hiatus. Okay. Um, so Big Cypress was a big deal. Um, that that was okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It was probably one of the best times I've ever had, actually. <laughs> yeah. But, nice. That's yeah, I mean, really I've, cool. I've been to a bunch. I, I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> And you still like the the early '90s, mid '90s stuff speaks to you. Do you have a favorite year specifically, or or do you just have uh, like prefer that era? Uncontestedly, for me, it's '94, mm-hmm. and um, that's what uh, 
a lot of my friends at the time and I called the machine gun Trey era. Love it. As yeah. a uh, as a guitarist myself, I mean Trey was a, a large reason that I started playing guitar, and he was just just on fire that year. I mean a lot of the guitar, a lot of the music was guitar driven during that year, which if you're not a guitarist might be a detractor for you but for me it was just awesome well well i think the one the cool thing about 94 or maybe a slightly overlooked part is the fall 94 shows especially the october shows there's like six or seven incredible hairy hoods that come within like a two or three week period that is one of my one of the reasons i go back to fall 94 so so frequently but then there's like everything else too like the may stuff and the whole summer tour and everything else it's a pretty incredible mm-hmm. year maybe at this point it's getting a little bit overlooked with all the with as they continue to play all the noobs so it's it's prolific too it's like they're most prolific right with 93 and 94 they didn't they've never played as much before or after that's correct. Right. 94, they played the lar- the highest number of shows of any year they've ever mm-hmm. played. Uh, they did a tour basically every season. And, um, they, and long ones. They, they went and toured with a bunch of different guests. I mean, that fall, they went during November. They went around with Reverend Jeff Mosier, who was teaching them a lot about bluegrass. And nice. yep. they were very, very well rehearsed. And so a lot of the things that got me really into the band at the time was how tight they were and how they were taking vocal lessons at the time. And, you know, Trey had been teaching lessons at the National Guitar Summer Workshop. So he was very involved in explaining about tension and release and and all that. I just I was Hmm. I was totally into all that stuff. Nice. And and Jeff, do you um, well, Brad, thank you for dropping the the stats. Thanks for dropping the stats. That was good. Oh, I wasn't. 94. You were right. You were right. I'm just saying. Okay. This is this is why this is why you this is why you do what you do because <laughs> I need I need your stats. Um, so, Matt, should we should we talk a little bit about the recording piece? Well, yeah. So uh, the other thing I was going to ask is, um, safe to say, you were probably involved in tape trading back in the day. Were you taping shows at all yourself, or just uh, just trading the recordings? I wasn't doing the taping myself. Okay. I was I was involved in the trading. And, and again, I got to give credit to my brother because he actually was doing some of the taping. He, okay. um, he taped Red Rocks 95. He taped he, he taped a number of, of really good shows. He wasn't I would call, what I would call a taper, but he had a dat deck that he was able to patch into. Oh, he's a patch here and there. And um, oh, but God, yeah, I mean, Jonathan. Being a sound, being involved in sound for as long as I have, one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest part of the criteria of which tapes I went after was the generation of the sound quality, what mics they were recorded on. So Mm -hmm. I've always been into that, into good, good sounding shows. So at what point in your life do you really get into the audio stuff? I mean, I'm I'm sure, you know, probably showed some sort of an interest growing up, but um, at what point does this become something that is a, a, you know, serious hobby, if not leading into, uh, to, to a profession? I, I did my first actual audio editing when I was in probably, I think I was in eighth grade. And the, what I did was I, 
I don't know if you guys have ever heard. I assume you guys have all heard Pink Floyd, The Wall. Right. Sure. There's there's on the track Empty Spaces, there's a backwards message on the left speaker only. And you can kind of hear it at the beginning of the song. And I always was very fascinated about that. And so what I actually did was I took I took the cassette tape and unraveled the magnetic tape from the inside of it and flipped it over and spliced it back in with scotch tape. And it actually worked. Nice. Wow. And, and I got the secret message. And um, it was, was so, it always drink your Ovaltine? It was. The, <laughs> no, but it was it was uh, something along the lines of congratulations. You've discovered the secret message, that, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. And um, so from there, I was kind of I was infatuated with tapes and with audio and. When I went away to high school, I had a, a Mac for the first time, and I got I, I started using a program called Sound Edit. So that was in 1992, and that was one of the first digital audio programs that were out there. So I've really I've been doing this for over 30 years, you know, as far as working with sound in different contexts. And wow. um, yeah, that's that's you, where it started, pretty much. Did you study this in college? My major is electronic media. So, yeah, okay. I, I did. Uh, I studied, I mean, radio, television, film, audio, that type of thing. I learned how to use Pro Tools in college, which I still use today to do a lot of my recording. And I learned all about MIDI. And um, I mean, I took classes on it. And my minor in, in college was jazz studies. So I also learned about music theory and took all the, you know, your training classes and all those types of things. So gotcha. college is where I really got professional about it. Gotcha. Do you gotcha. know um, Kent Brockman? <laughs> <laughs> so, so how does that lead into a career? Because obviously, I mean, this, uh, you know, sound engineering of any type is a, is a pretty difficult field to get into. It's, it's the kind of thing that you typically have to know somebody, make a connection, do some sort of apprenticeship. So, so how did you turn that, that interest and, um, uh, studies in college into a, into a real job? Well, I had out of college, I had a lot of various, um, sound indirectly sound related jobs. Like for example, I worked for a company ironically called Sweetwater, which was, um, music gear sales and um, learned a lot about building systems for musicians and from scratch and how to, how to use the software and, uh, I had a job after that where I was working for Tweeter and we right. did, um, that was at like a hi-fi company and I, I learned how to do c- custom installations with wiring systems and, um, let's see, I, you know, it basically long story short, I got to the point where after a number of jobs, I decided that, I mean, this was all stuff that up until that point I had been doing in my free time. And every time I'd been screwing around at work, I was doing this type of stuff when when I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing. So it eventually reached the point where I was like, you know, I'd I'd like to get paid to do what I do in my free time. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Really good idea. I'm all about that. (laughs) I think we should all think about that. Yes. I love it. That's awesome. I, I just, what's the, like, what kind of work do you do now? Like on a day-to-day basis, do you, are you mostly working on, I'm just curious cause I don't really know anything about the, the industry, but what kind of work are you doing? Is it, is it mostly like this kind of stuff, like actually editing and, and producing audio? 
That's a part of it. I mean, it's really the reason I named it the audio specialist is because it's I had been in so many different facets of sound and production um, that it's it's really anything that's sound related. So I do. I do like uh, acoustic design for either people's homes or commercial spaces um, because I studied a, a lot of geometry and physics with regard to how speakers should be oriented and how to install them and, and that element of it. I went and got certified in, in soldering. And, you know, one of the things for as a guitarist, I was always fascinated by guitar effects. And so I, I decided I wanted to build my own. So I, when I got a certification to do uh, to do different types of soldering and now I build guitar pedals and fix guitar pedals. So one of my you know, I have my own guitar pedal that I made called the Gooba Drive. Um, nice. And yeah, so it's it's basically, and I do a lot of archival work, like the 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 fish related stuff, a lot of mm-hmm. transfers for people where I'm cleaning stuff up. Um, people will send me VHS tapes to digitalize, and they want the sound to be made better because VHS is terrible. Right. Um, wow. I did a lot of voiceover work. One of my jobs, I was I worked for the IT department of the Boston Public School System as their professional development coordinator, and so I I, I made their training modules for using Mac computers, and so you know I've, I've designed training modules for people. My latest thing that I've gotten into is I kind of consolidated all of this stuff and started getting into audio forensics which I I can't go into too much detail about, but basically it's cleaning up um, evidence for that, where people are trying to decipher whether voices are the same from two different sources and things of that nature. So you're the guy with the enhance button that they have on television. (laughs) (laughs) I always laugh at that. Hey, Brad, Brad's got it. Brad might have a case for you. Yeah, that, was, that caught my attention. I like that stuff. <laughs> it's funny because you have a, like the exact opposite um, way of approaching music from me and probably from Brad. It's just like we just listened to it and smoked weed and drank beer and like enjoyed it and tried to understand it. And you guys, you and I think Matt and Jonathan too, like you guys learned about actually how it works and how it's made, which is probably more valuable and also um, also more time consuming, you know, so pros and cons. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I was involved in that too. So, okay. so not mutually exclusive. And um, it's it's all it's not always great, RJ, too, because I mean, it's there's a little bit of a blessing and a curse when you're at a show and you like the sound isn't quite right for you, and you know, you, you're you're thinking about it all night and you're locked in, or you get a new album from your favorite band and it's doesn't sound good or something like that, and most people are like, "Wow, this is great," and you all you can think about is like, "God, this just sounds so horrible," and I I, I wish they would have done better with this or I could do better. Or, so sometimes I totally is agree with that. It's definitely yeah. a double-edged sword in a lot of contexts. It's like the physicist who can never play with a yo-yo in the same way again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> That's fair. Well, well, Jeff, do you want to talk about these specific shows? I mean, um, we'll, we'll obviously link to the fish.net piece, which it was cool that, that you were able to kind of announce this on, on fishnet. Um, what, like, why, why these shows? How did this come about? So when, uh, when, as I mentioned before, my brother being originally involved with Rec Music Fish and then with with Fishnet, um, 
sort of by proxy, I got involved with that. And then I got involved in the discussions myself and actually got to meet a lot of the people that were running the show over there. So um, one of my brother's good friends, Charlie Dirksen, is one of the administrators over on Fishnet. And Mm -hmm. I I know him personally. I've known him for a number of years at this point. He was aware of what I do for a living. And a couple of years ago or maybe a year and a half ago, someone had reached out to had made a post on Fishnet's forum or something along those lines that they had had a show that they dug out of their closet or something like that, that wasn't circulated yet. And it it sounded awful. And this was the first project. So Charlie reached out to me and he said, you know, there's a lot of people I could turn to, to, to get this in the digital realm. Um, But I know how long, I know how you are and how long you've been into fish and, uh, basically how persnickety you are about this stuff so uh, <laughs> what, what do you think about maybe doing this and getting it out to the the public for the first time and i was psyched and um so that actually happened that was there was an 87 show i i admit i can't even remember the date of it but it was something that hadn't been circulated before and we released it maybe a year ago or a year and a half or something like that mm-hmm. and since then there have been four or five different projects that charlie has then come to me and so people get in touch with him and he gets in touch with me and with this last one um the uh for, now a friend of mine neil ringstad who lives in telluride colorado had a, a similar situation where his friend mike lynch whose name you may or may not be familiar with yeah. um had recorded those roma shows back in 88 on the Colorado 88 run and had all of this missing stuff that everyone had been looking for for a while. So he got in touch with Charlie and Charlie was more than happy to send it my way. And I cleaned it up and that got released, you know, a a few, a couple months ago. And that was a pretty big deal. It was the jazz, jazz odyssey set. And this was just another round of tapes that Neil had had, kind of sitting in an attic or a closet or a shoebox somewhere or something like that and wasn't circulated. You know, like if you go and check the set lists, you know, there was, it said previously to these getting released that there was no known audience recording of this and some of the sets were missing. And so it's exciting for me as a fish geek for so many years to be able to hear this stuff, first of all, before it's, it's really known. And then as a corollary to that, to put my thumbprint on it and make it sound as good as I would want a tape to listen to, to sound if I was going to listen to it and then get it out to everybody. So that's the roundabout, that's the roundabout story of how these tapes got into my possession and they got released. Nice. I'm glad Charlie was part of it. Charlie's a good dude who is a friend of friend of the pod, as they say in the biz. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad he was involved and sorry, Matt, go ahead. Yeah. No, so, um, these specific tapes are from, uh, these were made by Paul Languedoc, correct? Correct. So, so these- the first round, the first round on those Roma tapes, that was taped by Mike Lynch. And that's a friend of, of, of Neil and the band actually, for whatever reason, didn't have copies of these tapes. So they, they actually, um, they contacted they, they contacted Mike Lynch 
like 10 years later before the live fish release of Colorado 88. And in exchange for those master tapes that he had, you know, he had patched into the board or whatever, they gave him like a lifetime pass to all fish shows forever. Wow. And I thought that I thought that was a I was like, you a good deal. I was like, I didn't, didn't even know cool. that they gave that they gave those that. out. But yeah, um, Brad, Brad has one. No, um, him and Antelope Greg. Those are the two guys that have them. <laughs> <laughs> but the, this round was actually taped by Paul and um, the band had stayed in Telluride for those for the first run. And they ended up hanging out at Neil's house and using Neil's. Uh, tape deck to make duplicates of the masters or whatever so when they came back again in these these other runs they they knew neil mm-hmm. and telluride's a small place and they would hang out and i guess he got these tapes directly from page so but as far as how they were recorded from page and what happened to the tapes in the meantime i don't know because i know that on the for example on the 92 show there was some actual damage to the tape and i don't mean the physical chassis there was like damage to the the magnetic material inside the tape and which made my job a lot more difficult getting these things cleaned up because on the first round with those roma shows they already sounded decent from the beginning you know I, i didn't have as much of a challenge to to get them to sound amazing but these ones were a lot a lot more work yeah. Now, and did they, did the band have copies of these or is this something that they, they have, there just happens to be a dub that made it out into the wild and that's what got into your hand. I'm pretty sure that the, I mean, since they came from page, I would imagine that he didn't just like give his copy away. So I think mm-hmm. that I, I, I think that page was when they were probably hanging out. I imagine he just, he allowed it to be copied gotcha. while, while he was there. Um, or he did the copy himself and handed handed that whole crew copies of those shows um how that damage happened i don't know exactly um neil can't remember but i guess just from looking at it and dealing with this type of thing before that it was an auto reverse situation in a car tape deck that wasn't clean and was kind of not working too well those things will chew up your tapes uh the 90s show didn't have as many um like blatant issues as the okay. 92 one did from the, from the damage. It was more just making it sound, sound better with the, the mastering part of it. Gotcha. Um, I mean, in, interestingly, I, f- I find that each year has a different actual sound to it, depending on the size of the room that they're mixed for yeah. and the number of effects that Paul's using like delays and things like that. So I can, you can kind of hear from year to year and from tour to tour, from the soundboard recordings, like what it's from, just from the sound of it. And the 91, when you listen to it as compared to the 92, it they sound different. Like there's a different type of delay that's on right. there and the effects are different. So that, you know, that's interesting to compare. Well, and I'm sure, I think, um, you know, they probably were getting better gear, you know, as, yes. as each year went on better preamps and, and board and everything like that. And I'm sure Paul's skill as a sound engineer was probably improving too. I mean, I always got the feeling that, you know, along with Corota and, and, um, and the, and the band too, like they were all as an organization kind of like collectively improving their, their capabilities. Um, and it's pretty crazy when you think that, you know, a band that was sort of like ragtagging it and throwing stuff together, you know, in the, in the late eighties or even up to 90, a couple of years later is playing at Madison square garden. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty intimidating if you think about it. Yeah. 
But why don't we talk about the the transfer process itself? Um, and um, we should point out that um, you have a, a great document that you put up that was linked to from the um, the fishnet piece, and we can link to it from our blog post as well. Uh, we've got some some pictures of your process and, and a great description, but um, maybe you could walk us through that too. Um, so just kind of starting with the the transport, how you uh, how you played the tapes and and uh, got them uh, into the digital realm. Sure, I have. Uh a fairly decent pro cassette deck that uh, it's it has um, I'm going to try to put this in not as geeky terms as I could it, it's got XLR outputs which are like a, a balanced level output so that you have a hotter signal coming out of it and I have that running directly into a set of Apogee converters which basically take the analog signal and switch it into zeros and ones and as a side note, um, not all converters are created equal because, you know, some stuff when they get digitalized sounds digitally, you know, and, and other. And, but the whole idea of this is to make it sound as much like the source as possible. So anyway, run the outputs of the tape deck into these converters, which then is recorded into the computer using Pro Tools, which is uh, uh, digital audio workstation software at a really, really high fidelity. Um, normally, I record it at 96 kilohertz and then end up, I mean, a CD is at, is 16-bit and 44.1 kilohertz. So, but for me, when I'm doing the editing, there's a lot more information to deal with and then when you end up having to get rid of some of those bits and getting it down to the size that you want you can be a little bit more selective about which unnecessary stuff to get rid of instead of starting at a lower fidelity so um on the damaged tapes i actually ended up having to redo it at a higher sample rate at 192 because some of these high frequency crackles and noise that i was getting I wanted to make sure that it wasn't coming from somewhere up in that range. So that was, as a side note, a, a huge process because once when there's that much information, each time I'd, I'd have to render something or get rid of hiss or noise of any type, each time I clicked process, it took like an hour and a half. Yeah, that's a get up so, and yeah. walk away. So it was... I mean, it took a long time. And then if, you know, like if I didn't like the way it sounded, I had to undo it. It was just like an hour and a half gone. So, mm. so that was definitely challenging. Um, once they're recorded in Pro Tools and I have these, basically these, these files, I load them into a program called RX6, which is made by a company called Isotope. And that's where I do a lot of the cleanup work. So... That's where I will, I'll remove the tape hiss and, um, you know, I get the, there, I can, I could talk about this for a long time. So I'm going to, I'm going to try <laughs> cool. to not get too geeky about it. Um, electricity itself actually has a frequency to it. And depending on what country you're in, it's either 60 Hertz or 50 Hertz. And so it's, it's actually a hum that mm. if you oh, are fuck? using some certain types of equipment that's recorded in certain rooms that doesn't have proper shielding in it. You actually record that hum. And so, and that can compound itself depending on, you know, when the tapes are copied, if there's, 
if it's plugged into dirty power or whatever it is. So I have to get rid of that hum. Um, in the tape, in the case of the 92 show, there was damage, as I said, on the magnetic part of the tape itself. And it caused this very annoying, which you'll hear in the examples, crackling, which was happening really offensively through uh, a number of the songs. And that was really difficult to remove because I did not want to jeopardize the integrity of the sound of the actual source material by trying to strip it too much of that of of information that contained the actual sounds. Um, as a quick little side story, the first job that I did with this stuff for Charlie, I spent so much time cleaning it up and making sure that there was no noise at all, that when I actually gave him the finished product, he didn't like it because it sounded it, it sounded so clean that it had removed some of the sibilants from the microphones and the hi-hats and sort of the high-end stuff. So I um, went back to the drawing board, and from that point forward, I basically removed all of the hiss from above about, about 3K or so, and that would get rid of the tape hiss while maintaining the higher frequencies of the microphones and the, the S sounds and the hi-hats and, and things like that. Mm. So, so after the cleanup process, I bring it into a different program called WaveLab, and that is where I separate the tracks. And um, that's also where I fix the pitch and the balance. If some, Sometimes you'll get a tape where it's louder out of the left channel than the right and so that the stereo balance isn't correct and then sometimes you'll get it i mean anyone who traded tapes is familiar with you know wow they really were ripping through this show and it's actually the tape was a little fast (laughs) you know and and their voices end up being a little bit higher and so this the 92 show here was a a, pretty much a full hap step sharp and i had to fix that and bring it back down into key yeah, that 92 fish does not need to be sped up to increase their uh, rapid-fire <laughs> right. precision. <Nope. clears throat> only, only the vocal gem to get, to, you know, <laughs> speed it up, get it over with. And, and how, it, how are you identifying that? Are you, like, listening to a song that you know is in a certain key and, you know, playing your guitar or something like that? Which I know is something that some people have done. Like, what's your method for identifying how off it is? Well... When I was a really little kid and I I started playing piano when I was four or five years old and didn't realize it at the time, but whenever I would play notes on the piano, I would see colors in my head. And what that's called is is synesthetic hearing. Yeah. And so basically, and this helped me a lot when I went through music school and music classes, I I have a, a visual element of pitch. So when I hear a note, I can just, in the same way that you can look at the color blue and say, that's blue. I can hear a note and say, that's B flat or whatever it is. So, I mean, I can hear if something isn't in the right key or not, or if it's, if it's off, but I can always, uh, you know, I'll basically, wow. I'll just test, I'll just test it with, I'll, I'll make a sine wave of a pure tone of a certain note and just compare it to that. And the same way that if you're tuning a guitar and you can hear the warbles, if it's out of tune, yeah. um, yep. you know, I, I can hear that just to make it make sure it's very precise. Well, so sorry. Can, can I just ask, how long does this take? Because you've already talked about at least 15 steps that I counted and I, I think I missed like five. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of hours. I mean, I'd say, I mean, these two shows alone took 
I don't know, 40 to 50 hours probably. Okay. Wow. Just c- combined with make, you know, waiting sure. for the rendering and separating the, I mean all of these steps and I'm not even, you know, this isn't even I haven't even gotten to the mastering part yet. Sure. So all right. sorry. After you after you separate the tracks, that's when I put them into bring them into another program called Ozone. And that's where I adjust the equalization to make sure that, I mean, some of these old tapes, when they've been played over and over and over again, they get flat sounding and the bass doesn't sound as bassy and the treble doesn't have as much snap to it. So I readjust that so that all the instruments are sort of separated in the sound spectrum again. And finally, what I'll do is I'll bring the loudness factor, which is actually a term, which I found amusing at first. It's not, yeah. it's, there's actually a term loudness, yeah. um, which is, that's the only one I volume. know. Yeah. <laughs> and bring those, bring those up so that when you're listening to it on any type of a device, whether it's a phone or, I mean, a lot of people is blasphemous. It is listen to stuff on these little crappy phone speakers. Yeah. So if I can make sure that it's going to sound half decent on that and in, in a car and on a boom box and on computer speakers, then I've done it right. Now, are you, so, are you doing that just by adjusting gain or are you applying any like compression or limiting or anything like that? It's a combination of, um, it's, it's not really gain as much as there's a, like a max a maximizer type of a thing and mm-hmm. with a limiter combined in it. Okay. And there's a basically when something has is getting ready for broadcast, there's these certain standards that have to be met so that when you're listening to the radio, you're listening to uh, or watching a television station, that every source doesn't jump all over the map as far as how loud it actually is. So um, basically, I adhered to the broadcast standards that are for streaming and made sure that all the tracks are meeting that same standard. So the, the, the software that I use helps out with that. I mean, it, 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 um, you know, you set what the limiter is. You don't want it to go above a certain threshold and it, it, it's sort of like a normalization process where it increases the amplitude of the waveform, um, without clipping. It brings it up just enough so that it is it still has the dynamic range that it had originally, but it's not going into the red, so mm. to speak. Yeah. Finally, when I after I get everything to be the volume and the loudness that I want it to be, the final step from there is to what's called dither it down to 16 bit, because this whole time I've been work, I recorded at 24 bit. And then these pieces of software will bring that up to a floating point 32 bit to do all of the the processing. So then I have to bring it down to 16 bit. And if you do these transfers too many times, you're left with um, you're, you're left with noise in places you don't want them. So dithering makes sure that when you get rid of the bits that you're that aren't being used, you're doing it in an intelligent way so that it's not jeopardizing the sound or uh, it's making sure that the math works correctly, if that makes sense. So um, that's when I either get it to CD quality or if I want to do like if I wanted to make all of the tracks into MP3s or flax or something like that. I can batch process them all at once so that I don't have to sit and process each track at a time. Mm-hmm. It was really and awesome when I opened up the link you sent um, or the link on Dropbox and, and you could choose which form you wanted to listen to. I thought that was impressive. 
Oh, thanks. That was based on constructive feedback from the last release when everyone was like, why the hell are these tracks like 50 megs each? Because I had only put up, I had only put up the wave files last time. And, you know, I have people asking for everything across the map. They're like, where are the MP3s? Uh, can't you put these in FLAC format? I don't have the room to put these on my computer. And I sort of ignorantly just assumed that at this point people would have the room since people are buying like five terabyte hard drives and stuff. So this space is cheap, people. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, here I am about to ask you if you uh, plan to circulate the 24 bit files. Right. I, I, I've gotten a few requests on that and I have, I've mixed feelings on that because of the pro because of the way that I do this process where I am leaving that till the last, I'm leaving the, the dithering part till the last step. And I'm doing that as I save the files from the mastering program. I, I usually don't make the unprocessed stuff available. Like I don't really necessarily want the, the raw crappy sounding stuff to get out there. Mm. So, um, and I don't really have like the processed 24-bit files with without the, um, uh, you know, I'd have to post the entire waveform, and they're huge like that. And so, I don't know, I'm still kind of, I'm still going back and forth on that, honestly. I I think that maybe for next time, I'll alter the process a little bit so that I can have tracked out processed versions of the high-fidelity versions. Um, Yeah, so don't get greedy, Matt. That's what he's saying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't yeah, think I'll ever put out the, just the raw recorded files just because, I mean, there's, there's a few reasons which I won't get into on that, but it's, it's just, I, I don't want the crappy sounding stuff to be out there at all. So let's, let's go do a little bit of um, comparison here. If we can talk about um, you, you were kind enough to, to uh, share some of those unprocessed uh, samples with us. Um, and um, let's listen to an example first from the 1990 show. Uh, we can do a little before and after here so that uh, the listeners can hear how much work you actually put into it and what, uh, what a difference it makes. Um, and as people listen to this, what should they listen for? What, what kind of differences are they going to hear in the sound? On the 1990 show, it's it's basically going to be the removal of the hum and the tape hiss, um, the loudness factor, and the equalization, so that it doesn't sound quite as um, as flat as on the original. And you'll hear the biggest difference, though, on the 92 show, because that's where I had to spend so much time getting rid of that crackle and damage. Okay, so let's uh, listen, listen to first to a sample from the uh, 1990 show. He 
All right. So now if we listen to the, the 92 show, um, you mentioned there was a lot of tape damage to this one. Um, and uh, there's a lot of clicking and whatnot um, that, that people are going to hear. What what else was different but besides the tape damage and um, working with the 92 show versus the, the 90 show? So the first thing you'll probably notice is that it sounds really high pitched and fast. It was almost a full half half step sharp. So the songs, I mean, they, they all sound too high in pitch. Um, We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. So they're also the stereo balance is a little bit off. So I think it's the right channel is a little bit louder than the left. Um, it's it's pretty quiet. And you obviously have the same tape hiss and noise and hum problem as the other show had but you'll the biggest thing you'll notice is that crackle that i had a really hard i had a really hard time getting rid of this i tried like five different methods and finally finally i got it to work and and still sound good um that was one of my biggest challenges i've ever had actually okay so let's uh let's take a listen to that uh from 4892 Could be a fly. And feed a racket as I die. And do the ritual from within the silken tunnel that they've been. Cause through the bedroom door intrude. A fretful frown and spoil the mood. Cause though I never really stand that tall, she tilled my frame, she watched me fall. This is the work of the whole pirates. Stranded for a moment on the ocean of Osiris. Absorbing all she can for every member of her clan. This is the work of a new level virus. Stranded for a moment on the ocean of Osiris. Absorbing all she can for every member of her clan. Wow, what a what a difference uh, your process made. Um, I, I one of the things that I really loved when I listened to that was how the um, you really brought out the stereo image, particularly around Page's um, keyboard sounds. Um, you know, we talked about him having some of those uh, early keyboards, but um, one of the benefits I, I always thought it, when you listen to the soundboard recordings is that uh, you have. Um, uh, a great stereo sound from from a lot of Page's uh, keyboards, particularly the uh, the organ, and then some of the reverb and nuances that uh, that you'd catch in there. You were really able to uh, to bring out in the recording. Yeah, so let's. Um, I mean, people can find all this music, of course, on the internet's um, somewhere, but we have packaged some up um, for you here on this podcast. So what we're going to do is play set two of four eight ninety two. 
Um, and we're going to play set two of the one of the 1990 shows on HF Pod Plus. Um, so maybe we should just get into set two from 4892. I, I think this show's like in Brad's neck of the woods because it, I guess in my head, New Mexico is sort of near you. I mean, it's closer to you than us, Brad. So I assume that you're familiar 82. with the El, El, Rey, El Rey Theater. Um, right across the street, I'm sure. Quick funny story before you start this. the Everyone's raving about the Bowie, which is really, really good on the... On the uh, on on the '92 show, uh, we almost played an April Fool's joke where we we were gonna take the jam, the really good part of the jam, and post it on the Mystery Jam Monday oh, or whatever wow. it was on, <laughs> on April Fool's Day, and like no, it wasn't you know no one it's not out there yet no one had heard it. Um, I ended up vetoing that for for a few different reasons, but just I thought, I thought you guys might think that was that's funny. really funny. Yeah, that's I mean, nice really, of you to veto it. It really just would have pissed people off. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> like, that was part of the reason. <laughs> well, let's let's play that set because I want to talk a little bit about the Bowie on the on the on the back end. Um, it's really good jam. Sorry, to, sorry for the spoilers, but it's a good jam. Um, should we get into it, guys? Do yes, it. It's awesome. Let's play it. Thank you. 
What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
It's time I sling the baskets off this overburdened horse. Sink my toes into the ground and set a different course. Cause if I were here and you were there, Matilda in between. And not until my dying day confess what I have seen. Bye. 
the cabin, you speak of your life, overwhelmingly locust for love. Confuse what you can of the ending, and revise your despise, so repentant. That you didn't quite match. I'm getting it clearly through alternate paths. So I'm standing with a signal you're sending. But he can't learn all the facts that I've learned. I sat in the chairs and my synapses burned. The torture chalk just collects on my tongue. Thoughts follow my vision and dance in the sun. All my vassal constrictors they come slowly undone. Just wait till I'm old. Can I live while I'm young? Can I live while I'm young? Tonight, I flood the distress to love tight. And watch what I say as it flutters away. And all this emotion is kept on the surface. Not to educate somebody's pride. But who can I learn all the facts that I've learned? I sat in the chairs and I said I should burn. 
children chalk just the legs on my tongue Thoughts follow my vision and dance in the sun All I've asked is to visit and go slowly undone Just wait till I'm old, can I live while I'm young?
right. We're going to try this one more time. This last night it didn't work. If it doesn't work tonight, I apologize again. Damn things are cheap. They're really cheap. The Pakistani model. Tell them how cheap it was, Fish. <laughs> yeah, they were, let's just say I, I bought the farm. To say I got, I got myself robbed. But that's okay, though, because with only a cheap pair of bagpipes could you do this here. Ladies and gentlemen, Henrietta has officially bought the farm. Under the guise of Paul Gartsky. <laughs> above you crystal blue well oh baby my hair's on and about you I shouldn't see you though I love to I fly above you yes I do
The stars above crystal blue You never know what kind of diseases the little guy's carrying around. is near the mission's clear it's later than we think before you slip into the night you want something to drink see the way before the dawn and bring us back good news if you tread in travel suit please wipe it from your shoe then a portal pirate scores the evening with his cry it sinks you in, it bugs the fry of the monkey of its thigh. A dust arose and caught my nose before I could think twice. Despite the scuff that bubbled up, I gave some last advice. The flesh from Satan's dogs will make the rudiments of gruel. Nothing ever from your fate, you're worthless while they fool. Through fields and fame and swimming in the mire. The septic maiden's goggle tooth demented me with fire. I drifted where the current shows a load upon my back. If a chance a new slime by, I'd stuff it in my sack. Soon I felt a bubble form somewhere below my skin. But with hand is fine of hedgehog, I removed the force within. Seized it, removed her mask, and caused a monster. Angry mom responded, taking turns at grabbing her. The foggy cavern's musty grime appeared within my palm. I snapped Rick's book to scrape it off with deadly icy calm. 
taken Sue and used her like a rag. Some off the slide from where the slug has slid in with the bag. It's summing up the whole scene. a little bit obscure. Give the director a serpent deflector, a mud rat detector, a ribbon reflector, a cushion connector, a picture of nectar, a viral dissector, a hormone collector. Give the director a serpent deflector, a mud rat a raven reflector, a cushion convector, a picture of nectar, a viral sector. A director, a serpent reflector, a moonlight detector, a raven reflector, a cushion convector, a picture of nectar, a viral sector. Thank you. Well, I definitely see a lot of people who have seen us before and people from the East Coast here tonight. And uh, all these people. So uh, when I say that, that when I say that this was definitely one of my favorite gigs of the whole tour, you'll know that I don't say that. You, it's not the kind of thing I say every night, and I, I definitely mean it. This is a great gig. I really liked it.
not the same. In fact, it's getting pretty tame. It's just not that great anymore. I guess I'll go outside and flag a weasel for a ride. Take him on down to the shore. Wallow in fear. The days and weeks that you're not here was all the waiting in vain. The day that you arrived, my sleeping monkey is revived. But you send him home on the train.
So we just heard set two of 4892. That was the El Rey Theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Newly circulated set two. We heard Paw's Ceremony into Susie Greenberg, into David Bowie, and the man who stepped into yesterday, and Alvenu Malcano, the man who stepped into yesterday. My Sweet One, Mike's Hydrogen Weekapaw, The Horse in a Silent, Chalk Dust Torture. We had a Cold as Ice, a Terrapin Cold as Ice. Cavern closed the set, and then a sleeping monkey into Rocky Top Encore. That stuff ruled. Jeff, thank you for making these um, shows so enjoyable to listen to. We should have said that up front, or maybe someone did, and I, I wasn't listening, but thank you. It's cool. Just really, that. really good. Put it at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best, um, best birthday gift ever was getting that out to people. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the also the set like never ended. Um, it was like I was trying to get through it, and I was like, "Come on, guys, let's speed it up here." But they just wanted to keep playing music, which is cool. Um, Jonathan, you have many thoughts on the Bowie. Do you want to start? Start. Yeah. You might have a thoughts on Okipa or Susie, but we could probably just talk about the Bowie. Well, um, yeah, Okipa Susie is always good classic pairing it's very fun and then the bowie is rad it has a, a bunch of secret language at the beginning that everybody heard um and i i usually find that's a good sign and then they kind of they don't go full-on out there but they're constantly pushing against the structure and stretching it out here and a little tension there and a little out of, and just it builds and builds it gets it, it's great it's just great I'm a big fan of this Bowie. I also liked the Bowie. Um, I, I heard this jam in the middle, which sounded like very different from anything else. And now that I'm looking at the fishnet set list a little bit more closely, 
maybe it's this point me in the direction of Albuquerque quote, which I don't, I don't really know what that means, but maybe you guys do. Um, but I heard this like middle part of a, you know, a, a musical segment that was really cool and interesting, but for 92 seemed totally out of place. I don't know, Jeff, if that's, if you know more about that, cause you've listened to these tapes so, so much, but, um, I also heard that same theme or, or jam or something come in mics. Um, but maybe that was just me. I don't know. Jeff, is that like, did you hear things like that in, in Bowie? Did you hear things that aren't normally coming in Bowie's in 92? I, I just, I thought this Bowie was ahead of its time. I, hmm. I, you know, a lot of the really out there Bowie's didn't start until like 94. You know, everyone talks about the, the, the Providence Bowie and, Yes, we Things do. That yeah, we do. Nobody, nobody I'd love to. Do. I'd love to talk about it now. Brad just flipped the desk. I was at that show with the Providence Bowie, and I remember oh. that, was the first, that was the first time I'd ever heard them use, uh, like, they had a quadraphonic sound system in there where the state... I think Paul had had a, a new toy where he had a joystick that he could swirl the sound around the arena at his whim and he was just making the sound go around in circles and you can't really, you, you can't hear that on the tape and you know, because it's not right. mixed in, in, in quadraphonics. But I mean that with the, with the lassie calls that were going on in it and it was just, um, I mean, that was pretty profound. So, you know, as a corollary from that, something from a couple years earlier that, I mean, an eight, what is it? 18 minutes, something like that on, on mm-hmm. the Bowie, yeah. something like that. 16, 18, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's, that's definitely ahead of its time. And not, not only was it just, it wasn't just a, a full out, out there type two jam in the middle of it. It actually had a, a theme to it. And that was also a little bit ahead of its time. Um, I, I, as far as comparing it to the mics, I, I didn't notice that personally, but I might have been had my analytical ears on too much. <laughs> you know, I, I might have not made that connection myself. I'll have to go back and check it out. You were looking for other details, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or I just heard something wrong, which is probably slightly more likely. But anyway, it was it was really cool. But ahead of its time, I guess, is the best way to put it, right? It was just you if you. I guess with the tone and the sound overall, maybe you could have guessed it was early 90s. But in terms of the improv, it, it, it felt more like 94, 95 for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Except less annoyingly long than, you know, 90, summer 95. But um, what? <laughs> these are the things. Hey, Jeff, I do you want a podcast job? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't say I don't say anything bad about 94. No, I'm just kidding. The summer 95 boys are great. Um Jeff, what else for you? I mean, you've you've obviously listened to this set a few times. What what else sticks out to you? I mean, is there anything else that's really special to you about this set? Well, one of the things, I mean, this isn't necessarily about anything specific as much as the set overall. One of the things I looked for when I was doing tape trading back in the day was I always loved sets that had a lot of segues and a lot of arrows. Oh, yeah. And um, this definitely had a lot of one song right into the next, right into the next, right into the next. And that doesn't happen so much anymore where there's, I mean, where there's no breaks between songs. And I mean, I won't get into the, I won't get into the old debates that we used to have about whether something's a carrot versus an arrow. Um, 
with with certain yeah, that songs. Would, I mean, that would be way too. Was, that would be way too. Char- Charlie and I this. still st- still argue about that stuff. But, I love it. Um, yeah. But anytime you see a set like that, where you have, I mean, a a Bowie and uh, a Mike's and and a bunch of the sort of top tier songs with a bunch of arrows in it, you know, it's a good set. Yeah, for sure. And I think you're right. It doesn't happen as often. That combo to start is almost the Occupy and the Susie is almost like a Baird Alive and ACDC for me. So um, I like that. And it's you're right. It's really long. I mean, it's three lines on my computer right here. The whole second set. You don't see that too much. And a lot of people talk about the olden days and the four or five song second sets, you know, five around the campfire. Yeah. Or 10 years before that, it was uh, completely different. So, yeah. Um, I also like the the I also like the window we got to see um a little bit into I think 93 and 94. Uh the 90 uh, we didn't talk about it. But the 90 show, I thought Paige was really good, but you could tell his equipment. You know what I mean? Just with those early shows, you can tell he's kind of banging out on, you know, a Fisher Price my first piano. And then um <laughs> the the um you know, as 92 got around, you could tell he needed better stuff because he was so good on what he had. Uh and that's huh. Those are things I, I reminisced about while driving my car. An interesting thing to note is that um, you hear a lot of reference from Trey to Cactus, referring to Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he mm-hmm. and, a lot on this one. And <laughs> so we were joking. I mean, Neil and I would be joking about that this was like the Cactus show. And there, I'm not actually sure if that nickname, ex- it happens to be in New Mexico, where hmm. there are a lot of cactuses around. So I'm not sure oh, if maybe this shit. trip down down to Albuquerque might have been where the nickname got picked up when they were looking at the cactuses along the ride there. Mm. Holy shit. This is this is getting serious now. I know. Well, first we, first Languedoc joystick and then this. Jesus. We need we need Mike to confirm or deny. Yeah. Um that's a good point though. He doesn't like that nickname. He does not, but but hey. Um also during Mike's he he says like Something, you know, it's my song, right? Right before they go into the um, second verse, I think. Um, so it's it's definitely all about Mike in that second set. Did you guys hear that? Yes. Yeah. It's like it he, sounded nope. like they it's it, it almost sounded like um, maybe Trey was making fun of him and mm-hmm. called it something else. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then he was re- responding by saying, you you know, but, you know, it's my song. You or know, something it's my song. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool. I guess there's some some intrigue. Another docuseries. We got we got to track this down. We'll go back. We'll go to like some shots driving down. You know the highway in Albu- near Albuquerque. Anyway, <laughs> Mike, so Mike could direct it and shoot it. So it's true. Can I also yeah. say, I I really like the. Um, well, I like Cold as Ice just as a change up from Hold Your Head Up, and it's something that Fish also hates. But um, bagpipes on Terrapin, what's up with that? That's just weird. And he's it's just weird, strangely man. not terrible. He's at better at the yeah. He's better at the bagpipes than he is the trombone. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, so Jeff, what, I guess, like, as we wrap this up and, you know, there's obviously more to talk about, but, um, in the, in the interest of all things, what, what are your, what are your kind of takeaways from doing this project? Are you looking forward to the next one or are you hoping that it never happens again or something (laughs) in between? Oh no, bring it on. And (laughs) as far as 
as far as what that next one is, I am not at liberty to say. Is there already a next one? Maybe so, maybe not. Okay. Oh. oh, I like it. Right. I love it. You can tell he's a know. fish fan. <laughs> just go ahead and, and blink the date in Morse code to us, and we yeah. won't we won't yeah. tell anybody. We won't read that <laughs> on a on a like we'll actually backwards. Oh my god! I can't believe it's Big uh, Cypress. That's so cool. Jonathan's <laughs> gonna be psyched. <laughs> to actually Sorry. answer your question, though, I I think that for me, the biggest enjoyment of of cleaning these things up is hearing a lot of the banter from the band that you normally wouldn't have been able to hear on just an old tape or whatever, because I'm removing a lot of the noise that's covering that stuff up. And um, on you one of the like previous, the, like the just quiet the, off mic banter that correct. you can just kind of barely they're, they're, hear. Exactly. That they're saying to each other, like for example, at the beginning of the, of the four, show, um, they're, they're kind of dinking around on the instruments before they start. And I, I cut a lot of that out because it just, it wasn't, the song wasn't starting yet. They were just kind of, and you can hear Trey say right before the beginning of the song, right before I, I think it's Okipa starts or anyway, he says um, the neck on this feels really good. I, I really like it, which leads me to think that maybe he either had work done on the guitar or that that might be one of the, one of the second languidocs that he was using for the first times, just oh, anecdotally. Wow. Hmm. Cause I know that he had, uh, he had his first, the prototype one that he used since uh, I think it was 88. Um, and I know that his second one, he got somewhere in 92, but I'm not sure the exact date of it. And it's it's suspect that he's commenting right before the set starts that he likes the feel of the neck because uh, I don't yeah. think he's ta- I don't think he's talking about Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. That's yeah. cool. This is like a really it's an intimate experience, right? You're like really getting to know these shows in a way that you probably didn't expect to or, or hadn't before anyway. Yeah, it's I like mean, a it's like a detective show kind of. Yeah. Getting to the bottom of it all. Yeah. We still need, we need video, you know, we, we have a lot more digging to do, like what happened to that tape, but we can save that for another, another episode. Stay next season of HF pod. It's going to be tracking down what happened to that tape. I think actually that could, that could actually work. Um, Start like our version of cereal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There would be very, very few people paying attention, but we'd have a lot of fun. Um, So, so (laughs) Jeff, thanks for, for joining us. We appreciate it. You're welcome. It was a pleasure and an honor. Yeah, and thanks and congratulations on the growing family and um, on getting this out there. It's awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And everyone yep. can find find Jeff at audiospecialist.net. Yep. There's also a Facebook page. You can you can find it if you look. Cool. Are you on Twitter, Jeff? At the audio specialist. Cool. Right on. All right. That's a, that seems consistent with your brand. It checks out. Um, <laughs> tweet, so tweet well, at him, obviously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Jeff, thanks for all the work you you did on this. This is really cool and important, and we had a lot of fun digging into it. No, I thank you, thank you guys for inviting me on the show. It's it's been really cool talking to people equally as geeky as I am about this stuff. All right, everybody, <laughs> thanks for listening. Um, Brad, thanks for joining us. It's been it's been fun thank you. seeing seeing your beard. Thanks, um, Jeff. And Jonathan, your beard is is better than Brad's, so you know it's fair. 
Matt's is in between, I think. Um, Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Goldilocks. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> and um, everyone, if you if you can take a minute, review us on iTunes. And don't forget what I said at the beginning, that we're going to be really doing a really cool thing next week with the Sweetwater 420 Fest. So check that out. Follow Osiris Pod on Twitter. And, um, you know, otherwise, just keep on rocking. And you. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris Podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. I had to leave because my dog almost ate a chicken. It's terrible. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.